0: Hi everyone, I'm Sinhara, and welcome to the Black Girl's Guide to Fertility Podcast, Soul Food Sunday Edition. The Soul Food Sunday Edition is based on what we did as kids growing up on Sundays at the church. We sit around the table eating soul food and enjoying great conversation. And those conversations were comforting. So periodically on Sundays, I'll be releasing the Soul Food Sunday Edition to comfort those who need it. And if you listened to the podcast before, you know that this podcast is for all women who are dealing with infertility, but it's specifically dedicated to black women because we have a problem with opening up when it comes to this issue. And I don't want to leave out the men. You guys are welcome here too. On today's episode, I'm going to be Skyping in my parents to get their feelings on how they deal with seeing me go through this whole infertility process. A Mother's Love. A few years ago, we were in Virginia at my family reunion. And it was nighttime, but we were all sitting out by the pool, and we were eating and talking and having a good time. And I remember my dad saying, like, he's getting bit up by bugs, and he said he was going to go inside. And so um, he's probably at this point almost halfway um, into the hotel or almost at the hotel at this point walking because the hotel was next to the pool, and we were by the pool. And so my niece yells out to him, "Uh, Poppy, I bet you can't catch me. And so she runs over to him and she starts running back towards the pool and then he chases her. He starts running after her and he almost caught up to her, but then he fell. And when he fell, he fell hard and he rolled, you know, multiple times until he finally stopped. And then he looked at his hand. And so we all rushed over there. My grandmother, who was his mother, uh, my paternal grandmother, mama, she was there. She was in a wheelchair at this point in time. And so I remember her looking like with this look of horror because she knew that he was hurt. Although she couldn't physically get close to him, she knew that he was hurt just by seeing how he felt and how he was looking at his hand. And so she was still by the pool area. We were standing over by him and he says, looking at his hand, I broke my hand. And so that that whole night, I remember her saying the next day that she stayed up. She couldn't sleep because she was so worried about him because she knew that he was in pain. And so I want to use that as a segue into infertility, because what do parents do when they know that their children are in pain and there's nothing that they can do about it? Coming clean to my parents. So I told my parents I was having fertility problems at the beginning of, my, of the second year of my journey. So I want to say that was around 2013. And I have them on the line today. Uh, my father is an apostle. My mom is a prophetess. And so I want to ask them how did they feel initially when I told them about the news?
1: Well, I felt kind of sad, but I still was hopeful. And I still am hopeful because we serve a God that is well able glory to god and he's a god of miracles so even though i felt sad about hearing about the problem i'm hopeful glory to god that everything will work out and you shall have children
2: well i wasn't sad when i heard the news i was um rather um uh confused because um i know that um, you wanted a child i know your husband wanted a child And I just couldn't process it in my mind that the Lord would not allow you to have a child naturally. And so, quite honestly, I've never accepted the fact that you were infertile and that there was a possibility that you could not have or bear your own child. And I'm still holding on to that. I believe that the Lord is going to bless you. I believe that your seed is going to be blessed. And I believe that this is just a season that you're going through. And as a result of you going through this season, you're going to be able to give other young women, particularly African-American women who uh, are subject to this uh, this problem, uh, give them hope going forward that if it happened for you, it certainly can happen for them.
0: It was interesting to hear my mom say that she was sad when I initially told her the news, Uh, but of course, you know, still hopeful and same as my dad, you know, like he said, he's hopeful and he still believes. But I think it's so important that we have these conversations with our children, that we check on them, that we make sure we're having this dialogue because you just don't know what your words um, and what you can do as parents, what it can mean for someone that's going through infertility. And from the very beginning, when I brought this to my parents' attention, they were sold on the fact that they believed that I was going to have a child and that they were standing in agreement with me in faith and that they knew and they reassured me that this was going to happen. And as a child, to hear your parent Saying that we believe with you, we're fighting with you, and we're standing with you, that means a lot. The Dream Team Shortly after I told my parents uh, the news, I had a dream. And so in the dream, my grandfather had come to me. We call him Poppy. He came to me and he showed me my children. And so if you listen to the previous podcast, I talk about the fact that I'm a dreamer and that's how I see things. Uh, But one of the important things for me in the dream was that there was an intense level of peace. And so when I woke up from the dream, uh, that peace was gone. So I immediately, like I was, when I woke up, I was like hysterical crying. And if anyone knows me, like I'm not an emotional person. And so it was just because that peace was gone. And if you're dealing with infertility, you know, a lot of times, you know, you have a lot of things on your mind. And so... When I woke up from the dream, I remember trying to call my father and he was away at a conference. And so I spoke to my mom later on that day and then she told me she had an identical dream to what I had. And so I want to ask her, like, do you remember the dream? And if so, like, what do you think it means spiritually? If you can explain some of that.
1: Um, Yeah, I I remember the dream. Probably not as clear, but I remember it. Um, I remember seeing Poppy, who is my father-in-law, I'm here in the house. It's like I wasn't home at first. I came home and he was here. And there were two kids that I've never seen here, a boy and a girl. And I'm trying to figure out who are these children. Glory to God. And he was just sitting down, peaceful. The kids were playing. Uh, Glory to God. And then it later came to me before the dream was over that those were your children. They were a boy. And they were a girl. So I know from the dream that that was a prophetic dream and that God is going to give you children. Um, We both had the same dream. (laughs) So we know that that was God. That was double glory to God. Because when we began to talk, we both started saying the same thing about the dream. Mm -hmm. So I do believe, glory to God, that those were your children, the boy and the girl. And that that was a prophetic dream.
0: And so what do you think about the fact that it was Poppy who was in the dream? Like, what do you think that that means? Like spiritually, do you feel like that he is working and like, you know, like praying on my behalf, you know, from the spiritual sense? Like, what do you think it means? Because he was in the dream and he was showing you the children and he was showing me the children. Although both of us were in, I was in Atlanta, you was in New York. You know, what is it? What do you think it means that he came to both of us?
2: Well, well, Poppy uh, Poppy certainly was the, uh, the patriarch of the family and the image, uh, and quite frankly, an excellent image of what a father should be. And the symbolic image of the father, of course, is Father God. And my interpretation of the dream was that he represented Father God and that Father God was sanctioning the fact that he was going to allow you to have at least two children, a boy and a girl. And so that's how I interpreted it at that time. And I still believe it.
0: This dream was so important to me because I felt like it was confirmation because everything happened in twos, You know, I had the dream, my mom had the dream. Uh, We talked about it. Um, And the dream, there were two kids Um, And at the end of the dream, what my mom left out was that my grandfather told her that he was getting on the number two bus. And so, again, that was another two. So everything was happening in twos. And even before this dream happened, I want to say like a week or so before it happened, I was so frustrated. And I remember I was in the car and I was calling my father because at this point um, I was chasing a diagnosis. And I mentioned it in the previous Uh, podcast. And so I'm going to all these doctors, I'm getting all these tests done, I'm getting all this blood work done, you know, they're poking me They're doing all these stuff, all these ultrasounds, all this stuff that was starting to drive me crazy. And I remember I was in the car and I was just like on the phone with him saying like, you know, I don't want to do this. Like, you know, this is too much. I remember him saying to me, like, you know, you have to fight, like you're in a fight. You know, this is this is a war, and if you want this, like, you're going to have to get up and you're going to have to fight for it. And so I still remember that conversation to this day. And along with the dream, those are things that I use um, to push me every single day, to push me forward um, on this journey. The Church and Infertility. So growing up, my parents ran an outreach ministry uh, to help the disenfranchised. And so we went to shelters, me and my siblings went to shelters with them throughout New York City, went to the streets with them to help feed people, to help people you know, get into housing, help with transitional housing, psychology, all types of different services that my parents were offering to help people because they saw a need. And so I want to ask them, you know, what What do you think as, you know, as people who work in the church, as an apostle, as an a prophetess, what do you think the church can do to be more supportive of women who are dealing with infertility? Uh, because like I've explained through my experiences, I don't see any support or any mention, period, um, about infertility within the four walls of the structure of the church. And of course, what you guys did doing the shelter ministry and going doing outreach, you physically went out to people. Uh, But what do you think can be done to help women?
2: Well, to be be quite honest, to answer that question, when we talk about the church, uh, because we are African-Americans, we're talking about the African-American church or the black church. And the problem with the local church is that um, particularly for African American women, is that number one, uh, they're very private. Number two, uh, they're very guarded. And number three, uh, they don't want anybody in their business. And so it's kind of difficult uh, to provide programs and services for people uh, who are not going to identify their problem. There's an old African uh, saying, uh, and I quoted, I think I'm quoting accurately, it says, He who hides his disease can never be healed and the difficulty is that uh we have women in our local churches um who are suffering from infertility but they don't want other people to know that mm-hmm. and so they might be seeking counseling one-on-one counseling with a therapist or a psychiatrist or psychologist outside of the local church but for the most part they don't want people within the church to know their business and particularly to know that they can't bear children uh, there's still shame associated with that um and in the age of technology that we're living in, there are all kinds of measures, all kinds of ways to assist individuals to, to have children. And so if we could get that shame-based um, veneer uh, off people who are in the local church, we should be able to assist African-American women in the black church who are suffering from this problem. And a lot of women are suffering from it.
0: And then how do you think we can remove the shame from, you know, the topic? Is that something that we can deal with? you know, through the church, you know, is that something that can be done through church or how do you think we can tackle that to be able well, to have this conversation?
2: It requires communication and requires dialogue and it requires good communication and it requires honest dialogue. Uh, this is an issue among other issues that are affecting uh, African American churches and people need to talk about it. It needs to be talked about It needs to be addressed. It doesn't need to be uh, continually hidden uh, from individuals. And I think that's the starting point, communication and dialogue.
0: I agree with my father. I think that it's definitely important that we have, you know, open and honest dialogue because as women, we are private and we are guarded. But I also think that pastors should try to take the initiative to offer things to help women that are dealing with infertility. Even just making an announcement from the pulpit saying that we are going to start offering programs or offering ministries to help women in dealing with infertility. And even if people don't join those groups right away, I believe within every church that there is someone that's dealing with infertility. So I would just say offer those programs and pray that the people will come so they can begin to get the help that they need and begin to just have open dialogue because that's what's most important. Going public and why don't we talk? So did you guys feel concerned when I said I was going public with my story that I was going to, you know, start this, you know, movement, Black Girls Guide to Fertility, you know, and that meant obviously sharing my story, you know, putting stuff on social media. Did you feel concerned at all? And if so, you know, express your feelings. Um...
1: I guess I would say I felt a little concerned, but I felt that if God was leading you that way, it would be good because it would be opening up for someone else, giving your testimony about what you've been through, where others who might not want to talk to anyone else would feel comfortable to even coming to you, um, to sharing their problem, and this way they could get help. They could get prayer. And so I think that it's a good thing. I think it's a good form of ministry. And I think that it's a start of opening up. And because we believe in God and we believe in the miracle power of God, I believe that they will also see the miracle that God is going to do and that they could also have faith and believe that God can turn their situation around also.
2: Um, I had no reservations at all about you uh, examining and bringing to fore uh, this particular subject, uh, primarily because once you discussed it with me, I felt like it was part of your overall commission uh, that the Lord had, was giving you to exercise for him, mm-hmm. uh, meaning that thing that God has uniquely called you to do, giving you the gifts, and skills, and the talents to do for him and to do for his kingdom because he knows he's got so many women who are part of his kingdom that are being affected by this particular issue and that it needs to be addressed, it needs to be talked about. And I think he's uniquely qualified you to do this. Uh, anybody who knows anything about you knows that you're a great wordsmith, knows that you're really concerned about this subject, You know, not only because you yourself are confronted with it, but because you know it's a problem, particularly in African-American community, that's being ignored. So do I think you're uniquely qualified to do this? Yes. Do I think this is the time for it to, uh, to be addressed? I think it's long overdue. And do I, do I think that God has uniquely t- given you the gifts, the skills, and the talents to do this? Absolutely. And I'm not saying that because you're my daughter. I'm <laughs> saying it because I know the gifts that you have.
0: And the second part of that question is, why don't you think we talk about this? And I mentioned this in a previous podcast that, you know, we as women and even as men you know you suffer with infertility and silence in a black community and i was at a meeting a few weeks ago and we were talking about black girls got infertility and there was a white uh, lady and she was really trying to understand why we don't talk about this issue. And she said, you know, I heard it's kind of like mental illness, you know, mental illness in the black community that, you know, black people don't talk about it, you know, but going back to the infertility, I'm just trying to understand, you know, why is it that you guys don't talk about it? Like, I'm just trying to get understanding. And she asked me the question over and over again. And I said to her, you know, it's just something cultural. Like we just, we wouldn't sit at a dinner table and start talking about infertility. We wouldn't go out in the public and just start talking about infertility. We wouldn't go on YouTube and just start posting about infertility. That doesn't mean there aren't people out there who are doing it, but the most people are not. And so what do you think? And because she kept asking me this question, I really didn't have an answer. So what do you guys think is the reason why, you know, we hold this so tight, why we don't talk about it? You know, aside from the the shame factor, is it something, you know, rooted in our history where we just don't sit down and have these dialogues? Like, where do you think this came from?
2: I mean, I think it goes all the way back to biblical history. Uh, women in society, uh, when you look at uh, ancient Hebrews, women in society who could not bear children uh, simply were not accepted in society. Other uh, way, women who could bear children, they didn't have the same uh, access uh, to resources, they didn't have the same access to power and they didn't have the same access to the community that women who were able to have children. And that was one of the problems with Hannah. you know Hannah was an ancient Hebrew uh, who could not bear children and she prayed and she prayed and she prayed until the Lord finally, uh, opened up her womb and gave her a child. but all of that time she was experiencing shame in the community because it were re- it really was anathema for a woman back then to really not be able to have a baby. It's not really that bad now, but particularly in the African- American community, those vestiges of shame that goes all the way back to biblical history still exist.
0: So whenever I have an idea or thought about something, you know, I always talk it over with my parents, you know, to see if it's a good idea, what their thoughts are on it. And so Black Girls Guide to Fertility was no different. I shared it with them. And like they said, you know, they, they were supportive of it. You know, so when I released it and I, you know, um, had the website done and I posted that and I started posting things on social media, you know, immediately I began to get, you know, all the support from people and people sending private messages and you know, just saying, you know, how much this is needed. But then there were a few people, you know, I want to say two or three, who felt like, you know, I was boxing myself in, or excluding people, you know, because the topic is called Black Girl's Guide to Fertility. And so, you know, internally, I started to worry about that, because, you know, my, my focus is never to uh, exclude anyone. But the point of this was to bring inclusion because, you know, black women don't talk about this issue. So I'm trying to include us on this conversation and find a way to discuss it. Uh, But needless to say, I was really worried about it. And so I remember, you know, going to bed worried. And when I got up the next day, you know, I was thinking, well, maybe I should change, you know, the name of it. Maybe I should You know, you know, rephrase some of the words, and so I went. uh, Shortly after, I got an email from my website. Someone had gone onto my website and sent a message, and the message simply said. You know, I'm so glad that you're doing this. You have no idea what this means to me and what it means to black women that you are focusing on this and that you are doing something that's going to help us and it's gonna help us and our culture to talk about this because you don't know what it's done for me. And so just getting that message was just reassurance for me, that I was on the right path and not to listen to all the things that people are saying because people can get you derailed just by a small comment of saying, are you sure that's what you should be doing? Or are you sure you're not leaving people out? And so don't listen to people You know, when it comes down to a vision or something that God has given you, you know, don't listen to negative things that people have to say because they will get you derailed. And if you know that he's given you a vision, you follow that vision and you follow it to the end. And so, you know, even when it comes down to praying, and my father mentioned Hannah, you know, I pray that prayer every day, and it's 1 Samuel 1.11, and and I think you should read it, because I, I recite it every day, and I'm just going to read it right now, for those who haven't heard it. It's Samuel um, one eleven and she vowed a vow, and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thy handmaid, and remember me. And not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. And so I read that every single day, every morning when I'm praying, I read it and I believe just as Hannah prayed and God was faithful to her that he will be faithful to me. Scientific Intervention and Prayer. So what do you guys think um, about people seeking uh, scientific intervention and people who feel specifically that they're just going to rely on prayer? Or do you think that you can do both, still pray and take part in the scientific part to be able to have a child?
1: Well, I think that you can do both. I mean, certainly I would never stop praying, but God put doctors... On this earth, he put medication on this earth to assist us. So I believe, along with prayer, if medical intervention is going to be what's going to help produce the child, I would certainly be open to that. Um, I think that both things together would would be good. And even though you might be seeking medical intervention it's still god's choice if he decides even though you're going for medical intervention he can still decide that he wants to do it his way the natural way and sometimes our timing is not god's timing so i believe that the children are there and we just have to pray them in glory to god and also if it's going to be with medical intervention I'm open to that.
2: Uh, I agree with Prophet Sandra. Um, you know faith and science are not two ships that are passing in the night. We know for surety that God is the great scientist. We know that by the creative uh, factors that we see every day in the world. We see everything in this world that has purpose, and scientists are still trying to figure out the mind of God. Just looking at the, the cosmos and looking at the universe and looking at speci- speciation here in the earth alone, it's just mind boggling how great God is and how scientific he is. You know, we just think about the atom and and the ability of the atom to be split and, and the neutrons and all that kind of stuff, you know, that are part of the basis of science that holds everything together. And we know that all that's being held together by God. He is the great scientist. So I believe that God has put men and women in the earth who are scientists, who have the ability, who have the wisdom uh, to be able to address a myriad of infirmities and maladies that man uh, is suffering with. And I don't think that infertility should be excluded from that.
0: I'm so glad my parents were always on board with me when I told them that I was going to go see a fertility specialist. You know, I can't imagine what it would feel like if they were in opposition to me going, Uh, but I'm glad that I have their support. And I remember going to a conference with them a few years back, and there was a couple there um, who were going... Well, they had gone through infertility. Now, I want to say they probably were like in their 50s, uh, but they had a kid, I believe when the wife was um, in her early 40s. And so they, I don't, don't re- recall how we got into the conversation, but they briefly talked about, you know, um, which really the, the conference had nothing to do with infertility, but we just happened to be talking and they got into this conversation about, you know, their child. And so um, they, they talked about being married and being together and it was 20 years before they had a child and so I was you know thinking in my mind like oh my god like that's forever like I can't imagine waiting 20 years but they said something to me at the the end of the conversation you know we refused to get medical help and we didn't want that we wanted this on our own we wanted this to happen naturally and so I think there's something great about that I think there's something great about standing on that faith But I also think that 20 years is a long time and I think that if you want to have a child and if you are in your 30s or if you're in your 40s or even if you're in your 20s, if you want to have a child, I say don't wait. I say don't be a fool. Don't say I'm going to wait 30 years and just wait and see what's going to happen and you know, just roll the dice. I say go see a medical professional, get yourself evaluated because it could be something that could be rectified easily without you even having to go through infertility treatments. So go, 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 go and seek medical help. What is pain and how can we cope? So at the beginning of the episode, I talked about how parents can see when their children are in pain. And Webster's Dictionary defines the word pain as physical suffering. And people like myself who are dealing with infertility, we do suffer. And so as parents, what advice would you give to other parents whose children are dealing with infertility?
2: Well, I mean, there's obviously two types of pain. There's actual physical pain and then there's emotional pain. But emotional pain can also be more severe than physical pain. And oftentimes emotional pain does uh, trigger uh, physical uh, things in our body. Um, Depression, uh, uh, feelings of uh, uh, lack of self-worth, and and all those things can affect how you think and affect how you feel and affect how your organs in your body even operate. And this has been proven scientifically already. And so any mother or any father who sees their child in physical pain or an emotional pain suffers along with them. That's a fact. I believe God suffers with us when we suffer. I really believe that. I really believe he feels what we feel and he cares about how we feel. And so what parent would not feel what their child feels if their child is experiencing physical or emotional pain? No man or no woman who has a child they love really wants them to suffer that. And as a matter of fact, oftentimes a parent, if they could take the place for the child to suffer that pain, they would do it. I know certainly my mother would have done it. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, nobody wants to see their child suffer. Yeah, I
1: agree. I agree with um, Apostle Dawkins that no parent, no mother wants to see her child suffer. So if there is something that we could do, we would do it. And in the meantime, what we can do is pray and that is a great weapon that we could use so we could pray you know we could if we know services we could recommend um, the child to that if they felt more comfortable talking to someone else instead of you know just talking just to the parents but we have we love our children you have compassion on them and Like the apostle says, you know, because we know Jesus shows us mercy and love and compassion. And we being children of him, we have the same love and compassion for our children. So we want the best for them. We don't want to see them suffer any kind of way, physically
0: or mentally. And do you have any uh, last words of encouragement for people who are dealing with infertility who kind of feel sad or who feel like, you know, there won't be a resolution to their problem or who don't really know what to do. Do you have any last uh, words as we close of encouragement for them or any advice for them?
2: Well, I think, you know, particularly when we talk about the African American community, you know, we need to come alongside these individuals and and to, to dialogue with them, to talk with them so they can get out of that shame base, you know, share their problem. And so the problem can be addressed the, the, the other factor is that um, I do think that some people uh, were born not to physically have children on their own. And we know for a fact in the African-American community, we have so many unwanted children, so many children that don't have mothers and so many children that don't have fathers and who are in need of mothers and fathers. And I really believe that these individuals who don't have children already have children that have been earmarked for them by God. And they just need to reach out and explore those other avenues. I don't think they should ever give up hope give up faith that they themselves will have their own children. But I do think that they need to consider the alternatives. And the alternative is that we've got a community that's dying. Young children, young men and young women need us. And we need to reach out beyond our own scope of what we think is right for us and what we want for us and look at the larger picture because our community is dying. And I believe God wants us to intervene in that area as well.
0: And mom, almost forgot to mention that you worked in social care um, in Yonkers for many, many years. And so you may be able to shed some light like on the foster care system, which I can, pr- can probably have you back on um, to talk about that. But do you just want to briefly talk about that and talk about all the unwanted children that you saw throughout the years and even the children that you saw that they were putting in psych wards and all that stuff because people couldn't control them. Do you want to briefly talk about that and talk about how we, as you know, people who are seeking to have children, can help play a part in that? Well,
1: children that are in the foster care system, they usually now, if they really um, are adhering to the law, They stay in foster care for 15 months um, and they give the parents a chance to do what they need to get the children back. It's usually a court order ordered by the judge, which tells them whatever programs they need to take, whether it's a drug program, parenting skills, so they can get their children back. If they don't do what they're supposed to do, they have the risk of having their children taken from them permanently. And freed. So once these children are freed, they are a ward of the state. So a lot of them, you know, are just in homes or, you know, regular group homes. So there are children out there. Some of them, you know, really have never known the love of a parent um, or parents. So those children are put up for adoption. And, you know, it's usually harder for the older children to get adopted. The younger children, you know, babies, of course, people want babies, but children 12 and older or the older they get, um, a lot of times they're not going to be adopted. So they just stay in the system. So there are children out there that have been freed and are up for adoption. So that is another option. That people can consider can consider is adopting children who need a home and need the love of a mother and a father.
0: So I always wanted to adopt uh, because growing up, my mom worked as a social worker and she worked in foster care for some time. And uh, coincidentally, my husband has always wanted to adopt. So that's something that we do plan on doing. uh, But we also want to put our money and our energy into having a child uh, while we are still able to do that. And so we decided to invest our money into doing fertility treatments. uh, But we also will be adopting um, at some point. But I remember a story my mom uh, told when I was a kid. I probably was around 10 years old and she came home from work and she was at the table and she was telling my dad, you know, there was a little girl and she put her hands up on the glass um, and she said, help me. And I remember that story to this day because my mom had to go visit her. And if you're a social worker, you have to do these visitations. So my mom had to go visit her and check up on her. And I remember how sad, you know, that story was to me just thinking about a kid like my age. And actually, the little girl was younger. I think she was five or six Um, Being a kid and just knowing that there's another kid out there who doesn't have a home and doesn't have someone to love them. And so that always made me really sad. And, you know, I would implore people to look into the foster care system uh, because you can be a foster parent um, as well and also look into doing private adoptions. Uh, And so I think that to me, the only downside with uh, doing private adoptions is that you have to pay. And I really think that that is unfortunate uh, because there there are kids out there who, who need a home. Unfortunately, there are parents out there who don't want their children. And so I think it's sad that you know there has to be uh, money involved in this process when there are people out there who just can't afford to pay an adoption agency to adopt a child. Uh, so again, I would just will look into all options uh, because there are kids out there who desperately want to be loved and who desperately want to have a home. I'm Sinhara Eastman. Thank you for listening to the Black Girls Guide to Fertility Podcast, Soul Food Edition. You can stay connected with this movement on my website, on Facebook, and on Instagram. And if you haven't already, please join my mailing list at BlackGirlsGuideToFertility.com and on SinharaEastman.com. And if you have parents who are not open to having any conversations with you about infertility or you just don't feel comfortable with talking to them about infertility, please message me on my website and I'll put you in contact with my parents so that they can talk to you and offer prayer because we all have to be accountable for each other in this movement.